thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. You want to be guilty people? Hmm? Tell you what, it might cost you your life. All right, so today what we're going to do is um, I'm just going to welcome you to the show. Sorry we're a little bit late. Our technology 
was having problems, but that's okay. Bareface got it fixed. So tonight, as I was preparing for the show, um, I happened to see a tweet uh, from Janet Mefford, who, you know, is a friend of mine, and and um, she retweeted a tweet from Andrew Bostom, uh, who tweeted, DHS whistleblower on Obama administration, terrorism in America found dead, and the, the current indications point to him being shot to death. Now, <clears throat> Philip Haney uh, was a former guest of mine here on the show. He wrote a book in 2016 that was published uh, titled See Something, Say Nothing, A Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. And, you know, I have been saying for a very long time um, that Islam is not a religion of peace. Um, I believe our former president was a fraud, and also I believe he is a Muslim. Um, but, you know, I just want to, I, I want to share with you just the... Um, uh, what Amazon says about his book. And then we're going to play the interview I did with him. I just found it. I went through all my archives and found it. So it'll be interesting for me to hear it, especially now that he's dead. And it's suspected, of course, he was murdered. So, uh, but this is what it says here. It says, one day after a prominent U.S. Muslim leader reacted to the November 2015 Paris attacks with a declaration that the Islamic State, also known as ISIS, has nothing to do with Islam, President Obama made the same assertion. Who exactly is the enemy we face, not only in the Middle East, but also within our borders? Is it murderers without a coherent creed or nihilistic killers who want to tear things down, as some described ISIS after 130 people were brutally slain and another 368 injured in a coordinated attack on Western soil? that authorities say was organized with help from inside France's Muslim communities. After the Paris attacks, Obama himself described ISIS as simply a network of killers who are brutal brutalizing local populations. Oh, it's just a network of killers. That's all it is. Anyway, I'm not going to read the rest. This is a lot longer than I thought it was. It's going to take forever to read that. But the point is, you can go to Amazon and look it up. Look up the book, See Something, Say Nothing. Um, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, if you are um, in our audience for any length of time, then you already know where we stand on certain things. But I have been saying this for a long time. And... You know, I believe Breitbart Bart was murdered. Um, um, who was it? Was it who was it? The, the Supreme Court judge guy that was murdered. Scalia. Scalia, I believe he was murdered. Was Scalia. Um, obviously, Philip Haney, my guest, who we will now hear his voice from, 2016. Uh, you know, has been found dead. Scalia, right? Thank you, Tommy. So, yeah, anyway, so, you know, last night I shared that we may be ending this show, and, and, um, and then something like this happens, right? And I think, 
all right, well, you're not going to get rid of me that easy. So, um, yeah, so I don't really have anything else to say. Let's just play the interview. Remember, this is from a couple of years ago, what, four years ago? I had them on my show. It's pretty miraculous. I found the episode. I have almost 1,600 episodes I went through to get to this one. Uh, but this was recorded May 20... Let me look here. May something. May 24th of 2016. And I already did a little bit of the intro. So, Bareface, if you could find a picture of him, maybe we could put that, put that up. Or you guys can stare at me the whole time. Um, um. I'll do some crack reporting here and okay. producing and find that. So while you're doing that, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to hit the audio because I don't know if I interviewed him for a half hour or an hour. But um, in light of the fact that he's dead, we should probably listen to closely to what he has to say. All right. So I'm just going to turn my volume up here. Do this. And let's listen to Philip Haney, uh, who is now with the Lord. So that's a good thing. He's at least with the Lord now. So that's a good thing studied Arabic culture and language while working as a scientist in the Middle East before he was hired as a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security in 2003, becoming an... By the way, this was recorded on Blog Talk Radio, so the quality isn't as good as what we have now, so hopefully you guys can, can hear it okay. Just put a one or something if you can hear it okay when I, I hit play again. Armed Customs and Border Protection Officer, he served several tours of duty at the National targeting center near Washington, D.C., where he quickly was promoted to its advanced training, tar advanced targeting team, an unprecedented accomplishment for an agent on temporary duty assignment. Officer Haney won numerous awards and commendations from his superiors for meticulously compiling information and producing actionable reports that led to the identification of hundreds of terrorists. He has specialized in Islamic theology and the strategy and tactics of the global Islamic movement, and he retired honorably in July 2015. And I would like to welcome Philip to the show. Glad that you're here, Phil. Thank you. Hi. Hello, everyone. All right, cool. And let me go ahead and introduce Mark, uh, Art Moore. Art Moore, actually, I had the privilege of talking to you a decade ago <laughs> when, I, when my hair was darker, just so you know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway, Art Moore is the editor. I will say Art actually interviewed me for WorldNet Daily um, in 2006 uh, when I went on Fox News to expose the pedophiles who use Google. And he is also the co-author of the book that we were talking about. Editor for online news giant WorldNet Daily. You might recall we've had David Cutelli on here numerous times from WorldNet Daily. He entered the media world as a public relations assistant for the Seattle Mariners and a sports correspondent for Associated Press Radio. He served for 10 years in Eastern Europe with a Christian organization and earned a master's degree in communications from Wheaton College. And before joining World Debt Daily, uh, shortly after 9-11, he was the editor for the News Service Worldwide Newsroom and senior news writer for Christian. Uh, unfortunately, I can't make the volume go up any higher. It's as high as it goes. <laughs> Unless Bareface can figure something out, I can't turn it up, so... Like I said, this was recorded literally on the phone. It wasn't recorded the way that we currently record stuff. So, Christianity Today magazine. And so Art is on the line, too. So, hi, Art. Art welcome hi. back. Hi, Stacy. Good to be with you again. Uh, as far as I can see from here, you haven't changed a bit in 10 years. 
Well, I appreciate that. It's amazing what not being able to look at me does for you. <laughs> oh, that's okay. All right. So, okay, this, first of all, this, congratulations. I want to say congratulations because today is actually the release date for your book, right? Yes, it is, yes. All right, cool. All right, I'll tell you what we'll do because I know that there's, um, you know, there's two of you. There and we go. So I'll just address you Is that so that way you Carol? don't step on each other. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So do you do you mind if I call you Phil or would you like Philip instead? No, I'm fine either way. That's okay. good. All right. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your service to America. You know, uh, doing what you did to help protect us and. Um, and I would love it if you told everybody just a little bit more about your background because I always find it fascinating to find out why people, number one, want to work for the government, and number two, what happens actually when you do work for the government. Well, I worked for the government before 9-11 as an entomologist, as a kind of a scientist in agriculture, and I traveled all over the world as a scientist, in particular in the Middle East. I worked in places like Egypt and Yemen and Eritrea, Jordan, Israel, different parts of the world where I saw things up close and personal. And, of course, when you're there in a foreign country, it's always a good idea to try to learn language, especially when you work farmers, people out in the fields. That's the type of entomologist I was. But I was always interested in languages and in theology, so I studied the biblical languages, and I also studied Quranic Arabic while I was there working in the Middle East. And that gave me a first-hand introduction into the world of Islam. And I probably would still have been an entomologist today, except for 9-11. And when 9-11 came, I talked to my congressman, Max Cleveland, from Georgia, and he recommended that I go to work for Tom Ridge, the first secretary of what was then called the Office of Homeland Security before it was even designated as a department. And I was in process of getting hired from them when I got another job offer with the Department of Agriculture at the Atlanta airport. And then after all that, I was drawn into the new agency called Department of Homeland Security in March of 2003 as an agricultural officer. That's how my career in science segued into the world of counterterrorism. Initially, as an agricultural scientist, and then subsequently as a counterterrorism specialist. Wow, that's that's amazing. I think that that's an interesting journey there too. And I I bet you a whole lot of people forgot about Tom Ridge because it's been so long ago. You know. Well, he was the first of what we've had so far for. Uh, Secretaries of Homeland Security. But, yep, I was involved in the whole process immediately after 9-11, right up till I graduated in July of, uh, July 31st of 2015, last year. And oh. the book is a story of that whole, whole trajectory of events from the, from the day that 9-11 happened until the last culminating events in in the investigations that the government took out against me for basically doing my job. You know, I was talking to a a neighbor of mine this morning who uh, is a a Vietnam vet, 
and uh, you know, who, you know, who served our country well. And I was telling him that you're going to be on the show today, and and I told him about how that happened, how how here you are doing your job for the government, and next thing you know, they're investigating you. Like, like you're the bad guy. Like, what did you do? You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. No, it wasn't for moral failure. It wasn't for abrogation of duty, failure to follow command, or any anything like that. The first time I got investigated was in March, actually started in March of 2006, for writing an article, which is still available today on the World Wide Web, called Green Tide Rising, Hamas Ascends, Hamas being that globally designated terrorist organization we hear about all the time. I wrote an analysis of the Hamas after they were elected to take over the government of Gaza in 2006. Before it was all done, uh, contractors for the CIA in a course that I took assumed that I had used uh, classified information to write the article, and they turned me in to the DHS headquarters on the assumption or the charge that I had unethically accessed classified information to write the article. They didn't ask me directly, how did you come to these conclusions? They simply assumed that it would be impossible to come to such conclusions without having access to classified information. The article is still on the web to this very day. Anyone can go and look it up. Green Tide Rising, Hamas Ascends, and read for yourself. It sounds like it was written yesterday, not 10 years ago. Mm. But after 11 months of drama and trauma, I was exonerated. It took 11 months for them to do it. Wow. Well, I'm glad you were exonerated. That's good. At least they did that, right? Okay. Well, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. All I was going to say was that was only the beginning. What I thought maybe would have been a unique incident turned out to be the first of nine different investigations that were conducted in the next several years of my career. Okay. Well, I want you to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to bring Art here into the conversation. Art, you are a veteran reporter and for WorldNet Daily and, and like, I told our audience, you know, 10 years ago, you interviewed me about pedophile bloggers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You were actually the one that, that actually took that story, which was awesome. But how did you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you met Phil so that we can learn about how you uh, helped write the book here? Sure. Yeah, I began with WND shortly after 9-11, actually. Uh, and right away, I began to see that groups like the Council on American-Islamic Relations and other groups that made themselves out to be civil rights groups, they, these are people, uh, people representing these groups uh, show up on Fox News Channel, and, and they're always uh, called upon whenever somebody needs to talk to a Muslim about what's happening in the news. And I began to realize that you know, these, these groups are, are not... Um, what we might call uh, mainstream civil rights groups. Uh, they, in fact, um, it turned out, and this evidence began to, 
come out actually over the course of uh, the 2000s after 9-11. Turns out these groups actually were established by foreign entities, uh, most of them by the Muslim Brotherhood. And most of these groups um, you find uh, have leaders who uh, in many cases have been prosecuted for terrorism-related crimes, even convicted. And so I began to dig deeper, and the short of it is is that about five years ago, uh, a mutual uh, friend of, of Phillips and mine put us in contact with each other, and I had this initial phone call in which I listened for an hour to this man who thinks the way I do. He, he, he sees what's happening and much more. In fact, here's a guy who is right in the middle of the Department of Homeland Security who, who has seen all of this, and it was really remarkable to me. So um, we had a, a number of uh, phone calls over, over the years, and then I found out just last year that he was retiring. So that's what put us together and eventually uh, brought us to write this book. That is, that's good. Okay, so, um, all right, so I want to let everybody know the name of the book, in case you didn't get it when I first mentioned it, is called See Something, Say Nothing, A Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. And, of course, uh, Phil, I bet you did that with, You did that without there being a, a there's a cost to you doing that, I'm, I'm sure of it, because of what you just talked about earlier. Um, but I would love it if you could talk now a little bit about about the book and how you started off and, and what the main point uh, you're, you're trying to bring the reader into so that they understand what it's about. The book starts out essentially with San Bernardino, and it ends with San Bernardino. One of the cases that I was working on during the course of my career was a large group, global-level group, called Tablighi Jamaat. Most people in the West have not heard them, but in the rest of the world, they're known as the Army of Darkness. There are somewhere between 75 and 125 million members of this particular group that comes out of north-central India originally in a town called Deoband. The group is called Tablighi Jamaat. It means promoters of Islam. And I was working on it because they were coming into the country starting in about 2006 on a visa waiver program. And we noticed that they had letters that were signed from imams of different mosques around the country that we already had known derogatory information on. In other words, we were connecting the dots, and they were already on the law enforcement radar. So if you come into the country with an invitation letter, let's say it was the mafia, John Gotti or something, law enforcement would be very interested in following you or understanding why are you coming to America. That's essentially what we did. We started interviewing the people, and in many cases, we refused entry. In other words, we didn't let them come into the country. And I started that case back in 2006-2007 era, Eventually, it got me sent to Washington, to the National Targeting Center, where I worked on the very same case in the advanced targeting team, which, as you mentioned earlier, that's the unprecedented 
thing that you referred to earlier is most people on temporary duty assignment are not assigned to the advanced targeting team. It's a very advanced team, but I was. And I worked on the Tabligi case the whole time I was at NTC, and we had 1,200 different law enforcement actions based on that case. When I say 1,200, I mean what we call refusals of entries, cancellations of visas, or denial of uh, the visa waiver program. So it was a good, strong program, good, strong case. It was authorized by the chief counsel of DHS, Department of Homeland Security, in August of 2011. So we had initially the full authority of the government behind us in the case that we were working on. But in March of 2012, members of the State Department came to the National Targeting Center. We sat down in a big room and they said, we have concerns about your focus on Tabligi Jamaat because they have not been designated as a terrorist organization. Well, we shared some more information with them at that meeting, and the impression we got is that they were going to take that information and consider more seriously perhaps designating Tabligi Jamaat as a terrorist group, but exactly the opposite happened. And before it was all said and done, they shut the entire case down. Then, when I went back to Atlanta, I worked on another case, component of the same case, and that is the 67 records that they deleted out of the system that are related to the San Bernardino shootings. So that's how I start with San Bernardino and end the book with San Bernardino. Unfortunately, it had to do with the shootings that occurred there. It was tied to the case the government shut down. So the question then that I have is, what was the excuse that they gave you for shutting it down? They had concerns about uh, the civil rights and civil liberties of the individuals affiliated with this group. That was a specific reason. We discovered that through FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, through Judicial Watch, and we got the internal emails that were going back and forth explaining what the background motivation was for their concerns about our focus on Tabligi Jamaat. They were not designated as a terrorist organization, so they felt that we were violating their civil rights and civil liberties by developing a law enforcement case based on that affiliation. And then you may recall that after the San Bernardino shootings, there was a big revelation. It had to do with Tashveen Malik, the wife of Syed Farouk. You might recall that they said in public that they did not look into her social media, Facebook and so on, because they had concerns about violating her civil rights and civil liberties, except that she's a foreign national. Okay, we're going to stop it here just for a second. I know Randall wants to weigh in because I can hear him heavy breathing across the room from me. Um, if you have just joined me and Bareface, I just uh, we will continue the interview, but we got to take a break here too. But Randall, clearly I, you, this interview is coming back to you, right? Yes, yes, I yeah, all is coming back to me, and yeah, as he brought up there, I'm glad that he said that because that's what I was going to say. This civil rights and civil liberties of a foreign national tied to a group. Of, 
a known terrorist group, not designated as a terrorist organization, but well known for the terrorist activities outside the U.S., invited by imams who who are saying derogatory things about the United States of America. Many of them are shut out. Many of them are already here, and they're following these people. And the State Department comes and says, oh, don't you be keeping your eye on these people. You're going to violate their civil rights, their civil liberties. They're freaking foreign nationals, first of all. Ah, who cares? They're, they're, it was under the Obama administration. I know. Like, that matters, right? They're, they're, not, mean, they're not U.S. citizens. And just that alone doesn't doesn't make them, you know, doesn't make the rights of citizens available to them. But they have these terrorist ties. And you don't think, no one's charging with the crime, they're just watching them. And for a good reason. I mean, if someone walks into a, you know, uh, you know, walks into Walmart you know, with a trench coat and, you know, keeps looking over their shoulder. They haven't committed any crime, but you better believe it that there are people in there, hopefully, keeping an eye on us, folks. I used to work in a department store, okay? okay. And 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 one day, I'm I'm working in, in boys' clothing. I was a floater. I was on... Anyway, I go to put some clothes on a rack, one of these circular racks that have, you know, hanging clothes. And there's one of our security guys inside there, you know, my like a get smart kind of thing with, what was it, Agent um, 13, I remember, it was always like in a mailbox or a vending machine, something like that. Here's this guy in here, you know, he's got his walkie, and he's, you know, anyway, long story short, it was because this, this couple were going through the store from department to department, just picking up stuff, and just the way they were going and, you know, making their way toward you know the outer store to the doors and you know they couldn't do anything because they hadn't committed a crime but just the way they were going about you know their movements and stuff they were being watched that's right. not a violation of their civil liberties because they're people of, of you know suspicion you know suspect um right. someone with terrorist ties enters the united states on the invitation of anti-Americans, you know, foreign nationals come over. They can't be people of suspect, you know, people you want to keep your eye on. Not according yeah. to the State Department, led by the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. At the time, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read you part of this article, and then we're going we're gonna to remind you who our advertiser is. Um, if you just joined us, I am... Stacey Lynn Harp and today what we're doing is we are replaying an interview I did with Philip Haney who was allegedly murdered um, he was a whistleblower during the Obama administration and um, he wrote a book called see something say nothing and and in 2016 I, I interviewed him about that book and his co-author Art Moore um, so and I'm going to read you part of this article coming from lawenforcementtoday.com uh, it says, we've received reports that Philip Haney, a DHS whistleblower on the Obama administration, has been found dead. We have not yet received independent confirmation from the Sheriff's Department, but sources within law enforcement have verified that there's a death investigation underway. If you've seen a few episodes of Behind the Uniform or have ever watched Fox News, you probably recognize the name Philip Haney. He was the DHS. 
S whistleblower that dropped the hammer on the Obama administration regarding the Muslim Brotherhood and ISIS. Um, he was also a friend uh, to many at law enforcement today. And then it talks about some interviews that they did with him. Um, it says here, multiple sources tell us that Philip's body was discovered outside San Francisco, California last night. The current indications point to him being shot to death. It's unclear when it happened or how. The details are still emerging. As soon as we have more information, we will provide an update. And then it says here, friends of Haney told us that they spoke with Haney earlier this week and he'd never been happier. They've suggested there's absolutely no way we, he would have taken his own life and reinforced that he's had many enemies since he blew the whistle on the Obama administration. Um, and it says here, close friends of Haney tell us that his wife lost her battle with cancer in 2019. Haney was engaged to be married later this year. The author of See Something, Say Nothing was preparing to go back on the road in advance of the upcoming election. And he was currently living in California, just west of San Francisco. Um, and then in 2018, Haney told Intercessors for America, prayer activists, that he had been working on a special assignment in Minnesota to stop Representative Keith Ellison from being elected Minnesota's Attorney General. As we approached 2020 elections, friends of Haney's told us that he was planning on doubling down on efforts to protect America from, from progressive leftist socialists. So... Um, Anyway, so there we go. That is from lawenforcementtoday.com. And, you know, this show is uh, sponsored by Ariel Ministries. If you are not familiar with Ariel, it's a Messianic Jewish ministry. You can go to A-R-I-E-L, Ariel.org. Use that coupon code Bible News. Save 20% when you get anything in the store. I highly recommend the Yeshua series, the books. 20% um, is a good savings, so check it out. Go there, uh, drop them a note, tell them thank you for sponsoring the show. They have been very faithful in sponsoring our show. And uh, without their sponsorship, it's going to be, uh, you know, harder for us to meet ends. <laughs> so if you'd like to support our show financially, then feel free to go over to our show right now and donate over there at BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give. And... Um, you know, help us do that. Um, so, okay. So this interview is about an hour long. It looks like, so I'm going to continue to play the interview. Randall, do you have anything else you want to say before I continue to play the interview that I did with him? Um, other than I'm pretty confident he was murdered. And, and just, it, it wins. Yeah. It kind of looks that way. I mean, just think about, you know, this, this article you're reading goes on that, uh, you know, he was wanted to uh, you know, protect America from leftist socialists and Islam and the uh, efforts to establish Sharia law. You know, he said their goal is to impose Sharia law here in, in the U.S. And Keith Ellison has done that. Yeah. Keith Ellison, who is an Islam-ick mm -hmm. guy, swore himself in on the Quran when he became a legislature here in in uh, Minnesota. Anyway, so, um, anyway, you just, I mean, what the heck is going on where the State Department says, don't, don't watch these, don't watch these terrorists. Yeah. Okay. And well, then what happens, then there's a, yeah. 
Let's hear the rest. We, we still got about 40 minutes left, okay. so. Uh, yeah, Tommy says there was a motive if he was planning to be, become more involved in 2020 election. Right, which is why I'm interested in hearing what he had to say four years ago. Because it's people like him, uh, Robert Spencer, Nani Darwish, uh, Waleed Shubat, um, and others, Kamal Salim, you know, who have been on our show and talked about Islam and various things, plus eight years of writing about Christian persecution, <laughs> got me really familiar with Islam and how unpeaceful it is. Uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and continue with our, with the, the interview. Oh, I should turn the volume up. Mandated civil rights and civil liberties. And so they didn't look into her social media. So they basically proved the whole premise of my story. That was exactly the same reason why they shut the big case down. It was exactly the same reason why they deleted the records out of the system and the 67 records in 2012. And it's exactly the reason why they didn't look further into her background before they gave her a visa. Well, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm feeling angry as you're telling me this, just so you know. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Just because, to me, that's completely, uh, well, I mean, I could, I could really rant right now, Phil, just so you know. I could fill. I could totally rant. I could rant about lots of stuff. But when it when I when I hear it's like tied back to civil rights, when I look at other issues, you know, we won't go into today because we're focusing on Islamic terrorism. Uh, it it's just amazing to me that our government was willing to put continue to put more people at risk because of civil rights. Supposedly, that wasn't even legitimate, right? I mean, that well, they have a greater concern about enforcing the civil rights and civil liberties of foreign nationals than they do protecting American citizens from the threat of jihad attack. Right. That's, That's yeah. what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. so, Otherwise, so they wouldn't be deleting information out of the system. If they would err on the side of caution. They would leave right. that information in the system just in case there might be even 1% possibility that it might help us prevent an attack, but that's not the course that they chose. Yeah, now I have a, a commenter, I think it's Randall, who's saying I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that does sound fishy to you, to, to them. And some people are saying no doubt. Um, and I, I do want to write, remind everybody, if you just joined us, our two guests today, we have two great guests on the line. We have Philip Haney, who is a, um, a retired uh, officer with the Department of Homeland Security. That's the short version. And we have Art Moore, who is the uh, editor for World Net Daily, uh, online news journalist, uh, Art. Art, do you want to add anything to what Philip just shared about, about yeah. that? Actually, I'd like to jump in and respond to um, the commenter who said it sounds uh, kind of fishy. Uh, there, let me say, and I, I could go on for a long time, but let me just in short say that Philip meticulously documented his uh, nearly 14 years at DHS, and I, I've seen first-hand documentation he kept memos and letters and spreadsheets and all kinds of um, information that backs up what we're talking about and furthermore um, people that we um, either name in the book or um, because of um, security considerations they we used a pseudonym these people have have 
talked to Philip, uh, you know, since he's told his story. Uh, in many cases, they've actually read the book. And what they are telling him is that what he's writing is completely accurate. He did an excellent job of telling the story. Randall, do you have a question? Other than why? <laughs> just, just over here shaking my head. Just the insanity that passes for policies. Just well, I understand how people feel. I don't blame anyone. I call it the rubber band theory. It's, our minds is like a rubber band, and it takes a lot of effort to stretch your mind out like a rubber band to the point where and, and apprehend or comprehend what we're talking about here. But there's plenty of corroborating evidence. Don't just take my word for it. You know, you can search, look at what happened with Benghazi. Sure. The constant flow of disinformation surrounding Benghazi. My book touches on Benghazi because I was involved with the Muslim Brotherhood. And, of course, the Muslim Brotherhood, the February 17th Brigade, was Muslim Brotherhood. Those are the ones that were hired originally to protect the consulate. was members of the Muslim Brotherhood, an armed branch of them. And then the whole driver of the in Benghazi, the central figure, was also Muslim Brotherhood. And the, the fact that they were shipping weapons from Benghazi to Syria and arming opposition groups on the ground against Assad, which is still going on today, was also arming Muslim Brotherhood on the ground in Syria. So my involvement was that I was trying to alert the, the government, counterterrorism, Department of Homeland Security that the Muslim Brotherhood are not our friends and yet I saw Benghazi happen right in front of me so my involvement in the story is very direct and very personal and the information that I provided to the counterterrorism and DHS was in the system well before the Holy Land Foundation trial that was a large counterterrorism trial that took place in November of 2000 in Dallas, Texas, where they got, I believe it was 102 convictions of five different individuals for somewhere between 12 and $60 million of support, direct support of Hamas. That was called the Holy Land Foundation trial. During the course of that trial, it came to light that there were quite a few other affiliated front groups with the Holy Land Foundation trial that were providing additional support and networking for this whole system that was operating in the United States. Those individuals were originally supposed to be shut down, those organizations. They were never shut down. The leaders of those organizations were instead brought into the administration to help formulate both domestic and foreign policy. Thus, we come back to Benghazi. Well. <laughs> so in essence, yeah. the U.S. government yeah. hired foxes to guard the hen house in yeah. Benghazi. I mean, my, my entire premise stands on the fact that after November of 20 or 2008, after the irrefutably proven links to these American-based groups to support of Hamas, 
They should have been shut down by a law enforcement and federal court procedures, but they weren't. So that means that everything that happened after November of 2008 was deliberate and intentional. They can't say that they didn't know. This was the Department of Justice that did this case in Dallas. It wasn't out of ignorance. It was deliberate and intentional policy. So our government is intentionally promoting Islam, basically, is what you're saying, because they're they're not protecting us from the terrorists who are Islamic or, or Muslim, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, when we watch the idiotic media, which is all programming anyway, it's all stupid, we all know that, but, but when we watch the media and there is a terrorist attack like in San Bernardino and other places in our country, and then Obama, who is a Muslim in my opinion, um, you know, gets up and says, oh, this isn't terrorism, ah, this is just a fringe thing. And now you're telling us that they completely know it is. Um, and, you know, a lot of us who are like going back to when Obama became the president, which how in the heck that happened, I have no idea because nobody knows who this goon is, right? I mean, he's just like, <laughs> where's his birth certificate? I've talked to Jerome Corsi quite a few times and we still haven't quite figured that out. But aside from that, um, it just, and then the other layer is is the whole issue of uh, Christians being massacred all over the world uh, by the Muslim Brotherhood and ISIS and all that too, and and that's coming to America. I'm pretty sure of it. Um, it, it just uh, it doesn't it doesn't paint a, a real happy picture of America or our government. You know what I mean? Well, I do know what you mean because I took a vow protect our country from threat both foreign and domestic and I paid a great price again addressing people that think this is so preposterous that it can't be possible that it didn't happen that I'm exaggerating I never exaggerate I wouldn't have survived being investigated by the federal government including Department of Justice criminal Department of uh, Homeland Security Customs and Border Protection the Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security, all three going on at the same time. I would have survived it if I was prone to exaggeration or making false statements. There's no way I could have survived it. What kept me was the fact that I was speaking the truth because when it was all said and done, even they couldn't deny it. The information was in their own system before they took some of it out but it was there. It was just a matter of looking at it. So, yes, you, I understand it. Go ahead. Did you ever find it insulting, though, that they would they would look at you and go, what are you talking about? Because you did put all this together, and they're like, and they initially were like, well, who do you think you are, basically? <laughs> what I found was insulting is, in particular, some of the statements from the administration when they would say things like, we didn't get a ping. That's what Napolitano said. Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, said vis-a-vis the Boston bombing, Sarnayev, we didn't get a ping. Well, the reason we didn't get a ping is because we weren't putting information in the system to ping off of. So it made us look like we were incompetent. But we weren't incompetent. We were following directives and procedures that we were ordered from headquarters to do. And then when President Obama, vis-a-vis the underwater bombers, said that we didn't connect the dots, 
well, how can we connect the dots when the government's policy is taking those pieces of information out of the system? So, yeah, I was insulted, if you want to use that word, because we are very capable of doing our job, just like the Vietnam War veteran. Very capable of doing our job. It's not lack of training or motivation or equipment, any of those other technical or material things. It's simply the fact that we've been handcuffed and uh, hindered, inhibited from doing our job. Wow. Okay. Well, everybody, hey, if you just joined us, I want to let you know our guests today are Philip Haney and Art Moore. And the book we're talking about that's just been released today is called See Something, Say Nothing, A Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. You guys can go to WND.com and get the book there. Uh, they have it there in the World Net Daily Bookstore. That's where we prefer you go get it. Um, and I'm going to hold this up for you. And Randall is going to take a minute here to uh, mention our sponsors. So we'll do that for a couple minutes here. Certainly, this broadcast is brought to you in part by our wonderful... Well, who is this broadcast brought to you by? I have no idea who our sponsors were four years ago, but uh, I will scroll through this just so you, you know, we don't have to listen to that, so just give me a minute, people. If this was real radio, we would have some crack editor already doing this. <laughs> yeah, so she's scrubbing through that. I mean... I'm not going to be able to... I'm going to have to listen to it live, just so you know. Oh, she's going to have to listen to it live. So. I, can't, I can't make it muted, so. Well, I guess you could swap the um, mixer output for your headphones, but anyway. Sponsors, uh, namely, <laughs> Did you have a... Yeah, I, I think what's important... It's back. Okay, go ahead. You, so you, you, you want to do Now, go ahead and say something. Uh, I Something. I just... Any feedback I mean, from our audience? Any thoughts you guys have besides the knucklehead um, that I went ahead and blocked on Periscope who's being a butthead? Quite a while ago on Facebook, Phyllis Martin said, holy cow. And yeah, that's the way I feel exactly. I mean, I mean, we can go back to 9-11 itself and who knew what and and who allowed what. and But there does seem to be this thread of aiding and abetting Islamic terrorists on the part of the United States federal government. That there are people in power that are looking to undermine the sovereignty and basically the cohesiveness, I mean, the the United States of America to bring it into Islam, submission. You know what the irony for me is, is that, you know, we've been doing this show for 16 years this May, mm-hmm. okay? When this show started out, it was completely different than how we've how we've done. I've only been on board for nine years. Yeah, Bareface has made it all the better. Um, but I think the thing that that I find interesting is in the last year two people that have been a guest on this show have been who are now are now dead jared wilson who killed himself he was a pastor and and now philip haney and i'm sure there's other guests i've had throughout the time that have died but but you know i think this show is unique in the sense that 
you know, we we generally deal with the heavy topics, but do it with a light touch, right? We're trying to encourage you in your faith, your Christian faith. And if you're not a Christian, then we're trying to discourage you away from that so that you become a Christian, right? I mean, because that's super important. Um, but I kind of sit back and I think, you know, I've had a lot of high profile people on this show. And it's funny to me because who am I? Just a fluffy haired woman in the South. I've always been in the South, even though I was born in the North. Huh. Anyway, you know, so, and even Andrew Breitbart, I have Andrew Breitbart's phone number in my phone still, even though he's, he's dead and was murdered. Um, you know, so it's just, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, we, we've had people on our show that have been all over the regular media. Um, and yet we get some crackpot knuckleheads coming in our chat room, which just shows you how dumb they are. Hopefully you're offended by that, you know, cause you're, you're an idiot just so you know, and you know who I'm talking to. Um, it's like these guys come in and they, they, <laughs> they tell us we're being conspiracy theorists, but I'm like, uh, this is the main witness. He wrote a book. He's documented it, but hmm, how is that a conspiracy? It's just like people coming in and saying, well, God doesn't exist and he's dead and the Bible's a book of fairy tales. And it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, people that really have an ax to grind against liberals, an entomologist working in the Middle East, right, right. just because he learns Arabic and Islam is called. Right. Back stateside to help work, um, <laughs> you know, in a counterterrorism. But it makes me unit. wonder. I just, I'm just thinking here, but it makes me wonder why. Why 16 years ago did God give me an idea as I was becoming a therapist to come and do this? And why have I been so blessed to be able to be connected with a lot of people? A lot of very well-known people, actually. You know, I mean, I don't go around dropping names, but if I if I made a list of all the guests I've had, anybody who knows anything politically or in the church, you know, Christian world, you know, you'd be impressed, I think, if you care. I don't care about that stuff, but it just makes me wonder why God has allowed me to interview people like this guy who who who's a whistleblower telling the truth and now he's dead right and i know we've been you know there's there's this you know thing you know i uh, i've been screaming and jumping up and down for 16 years about certain things and it's like going fire <laughs> fire hey people there's a fire out here there there's a there's a fire there you see it there's fire you see the smoke there's <laughs> and there's people just like <sighs> What? Did you say something? Oh, what? Did you say there's fun? I'm going back to, to sleep. Hold on just a second. You know, I mean, I can list things like, you know, from the whole gay marriage thing to Islam, you know, <laughs> whatever. Okay. Anyway, back Follow to the Boy Scouts. Back, I know, I'm right? The Boy Scouts, we, we talked about how they're dead years now. Years ago. And yeah. Anyway, and it doesn't take doesn't take a crack reporter to figure this, the the writings on the wall and these things. And I'm not a crack reporter, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you and me went into Glisten, 
Mm. We brought back their material right. and we read it to our audience mm. and oh you're a liar you're this you're that and i'm like uh no it's their material it's right here see they wrote it <laughs> i'm just the messenger don't shoot me and I that's mean, look, look pretty at... much what phil was probably gonna say don't shoot me i'm just the messenger and they shot him anyway yeah look at carl tykrib you know i know right this stuff's hiding in plain sight yep. he goes he reports it and all right let's we don't have yeah. We're obviously going to go over, but it yeah, looks we'll like we've got about 20 minutes left. So I'm going to go ahead and, and play the rest of this interview here. important to understand is that uh, what we're talking about here is uh, really a clash of worldviews, that there is a, a narrative that our government has put forward really since 9-11. It, was, it began under President Bush. And uh, when I say this, you'll immediately recognize um, – that so often when President Bush would refer to Islam, he talked about it as a religion of peace. Right. And he intentionally um, bought into a narrative of, of certain Northeast University scholars that essentially uh, tried to equate Islam with every other religion, not recognizing that it has a very distinct political element to it that is what we're... Uh, confronting right now what we're faced with and so it, it, it what it means is is that uh, as Philip used the term handcuffed I think that's a great way to describe what has happened to the thousands of, of really well-qualified hard-working uh, frontline officers people behind the scenes in DHS who are trying to simply do their job according to law enforcement principles that is you you find the evidence and and you follow it to where it leads and the problem is is that uh as we all know you know just regular average people who uh are not directly involved in law enforcement who are watching the news daily it, it just seems obvious to us that there's a particular problem that arises out of of islam the islamic community worldwide that's very different from uh, Christianity or even you know, Buddhism or, or Hinduism, and that there are um, interpretations of Islam. And, and, you know, we can have a debate about whether this is mainstream or not. That's, I think, a, a valid debate. But, but really, you only need to understand that um, we don't have any concern about um, you know, Baptist or Presbyterian suicide bombers. I mean, it's absurd to even say that. It, it's clear that it comes from a certain community. And so that's the reason why, uh, in, in simple terms, when Philip was following the evidence where it led, and it led to people who were Muslims, that it was quashed because of this narrative that says that, no, we, we can't, that's discrimination. We, we can't treat Islam differently than we treat other religions. Yeah, and you know... Um and and that it's 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 interesting because the culture that we lived in is so politically quote incorrect. I mean it's politically correct supposedly. But I mean, Philip, when you were talking earlier about the different countries that you visited and you worked in, including Eritrea, one of the first thoughts that I actually had when you said that was that Christians are being persecuted in Eritrea. I mean, I, I had the blessing of writing persecution and Eritrea came up on my mind because of that. Um, and the majority of the 
the persecution against Christians over there is, is against it's from Islam. Yeah, and or you know, if you look at worldwide Christian persecution, it's not only Islam but it's communism. So it's people of faith, and that's and this is part of the reason why I do this because people of faith, Christians in America in particular, are so. Um, they're not being educated in the churches per se, because I don't think a lot of pastors are educated about the threat to their own faith here. Uh, but un- underneath all of this is that worldview. I mean, it's the Islamic worldview, their their belief in jihad, that this is how they're going to get into paradise, right? If if they act out this stuff, that's why they're, they're attacking the way that they are. Is that right? Yes, they have a mandate to promote Islam and establish Sharia law on a global basis. There are no exemption areas. North America is not exempt from that mandate, nor is the church, nor are any other ethnic groups that exist on the face of the earth. Anyone who does not either submit, which is what the word Islam means, is immediately subject to coercion up to violence. You have to either submit to Islam, become a Muslim, or pay what is called the jizya, the protection tax, for lack of a better term. Or the third option, which we've seen a lot lately, is to be killed. Right. And that's counterintuitive to the mentality of us in the West. We don't think like that. So it's, again, it's another one of those concepts that's very difficult to take at face value. So um, how do we change that then? How, I mean, because here you are. I, would you call yourself like a whistleblower, I mean, for lack of a better term, by writing this book? Well, I have been called a whistleblower by members of Congress. Okay. So, you know, it's a fair term, yes. Okay. All right. So I don't mean it in a negative way at all, but, but um, you know, if people aren't, you know, it's, they're not aware of what's going on. You're telling the truth. Are was there other believers or people in the DA saw the same stuff that you saw, and you know, or or were they kind of scared into being quiet about it? Just something, say nothing. It's kind of like, I mean, I could take this on numerous layers, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, okay, yeah, I saw it. Nope, I'm not saying anything. Kind of conditioned by our government around all turns to turn people in, right, who have our worldview. Well, there are a lot of people that are active duty within federal law enforcement community that would talk to you if they felt that they'd survive the career if they did. It's unusual for someone to go through all the way through federal service and then retire and have a story like this to tell. But there are a lot of people who, you know, I had the advantage of being a little bit older. I, I, I was able to retire because I turned 62, not because of the length of time that I had in federal service. I retired with 15 years. I started a little late, but I was by God's grace able to retire at the age of 62. Otherwise, I would still be active duty and I wouldn't be able to talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. But if you were to talk to people in ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, if you were to talk to people in Border Patrol, my own agency, Customs and Border Protection, and the military for that matter, 
they would all essentially tell you exactly the same thing. That the policies and directives of this current administration in particular have made it more difficult, if not impossible, for them to do their job. Sure. I mean, so, all right, so let's go ahead and step into, let's say, uh, uh, controversial area. No, I don't know. Not like this isn't controversial, right? But, um, Art, what do you think of the current election process with between Donald Trump and Hillary and how this will impact the future? And, Phil, you can answer that, too, if you want. Um, because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, Donald Trump, he's going to protect our borders, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, Hillary, what does it matter anyway? Clinton, you know, we have, you know, her vying for the office of the presidency. What do you what do you think is going to happen there? Well, I think if Hillary Clinton wins, then we're going to see more of the same for certain. Uh, if Trump wins, uh, you know, there's there's not any uh, guarantee, but there's more of a likelihood that I think we'll see an understanding of the fact that the the enemy that we face is an enemy that's motivated by religion, and that will guide our policy. I think already, of course, a big issue has been what do we do with these uh, immigrants, these refugees from Syria? Uh, should we just let them in, or should we you know, put a halt to immigration until we can figure out how to vet them? Uh, because we know, and, and ISIS has declared this, is that among them are are people who mean to come in here and, and form cells to, um, to, to carry out attacks. And so I, I, I think Donald Trump is, um, is raising the issue. He, he may, you know, at, at times uh, you know, backtrack and misstate a, a few things, but, but he's bringing up the issue, which I think is really important. Yeah, and I think it's kind of bold, too. So what do you think, Phil? For me, uh, it's pretty straightforward. I base my evaluation of the candidates on whether whether or not they will stand up and defend the Constitution. And from my from my perspective, it's the answer to that question is pretty clear. Based on past performance and behavior, I think it's pretty easy to determine which of the two candidates is more likely to stand up and defend the values of the Constitution, including those inalienable rights that were endowed to us by our Creator. For me, that's what it comes down to. I'm listening, or should I say, I'm watching the election from that perspective more on what they say. But I I do agree that let me restate that. If we had a, a wall around the United States that was 90 feet tall, that wouldn't protect us. No. Unless we have keepers at the gate, doorkeepers, so to speak, who are allowed to actually do the legally mandated law enforcement-based steps to vet and examine the people that are coming in and out of our country. Because there is no constitutional right there's no amendment to the Constitution that gives anyone the, lot, the right to come into our country without being questioned, examined, and evaluated. That's what visas are for. That's what passports are for. Yeah, you know, I will... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, no one goes out their door to go shopping 
and leaves her front door wide open. That right. would seem foolish. It's obvious, but why do we do it on a macro scale? Yeah, well, you know, what I've always wondered is how come we can't just be more like Israel? I mean, uh, hello. <laughs> you know, Randall and I, we went to Israel a couple, what, seven years ago or something like that. And, and you know, getting on a plane, all that, you know, they asked us questions. I mean, just the security even to get on a plane to go to Israel was high, you know. Um, I would think that we would be able to learn something from them and what they do. Uh, but it, uh, so, and then, and then the other issue too, what you say is also that we already have Islamic terrorists here in the country. So then the question is, okay, we could keep them out, but have to then have to deal with the ones that are the, the sleeping cells, right? How do we do that? Yeah, that, that's the undefined nature. But, uh, I would encourage the listening audience to go study the case that was just included with the New York Police Department. The ACLU sued the New York Police Department along with CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations, to prohibit the New York Police Department from developing facts-based analysis, doing trend analysis, so that they could tell where the threat might be coming from. They put together a study of 15 different attacks, maybe it was 12 attacks, and laid all the common points out on the table and used that to develop a trend analysis. Well, the American Islamic community, along with the ACLU, sued the New York Police Department and prevailed after about five years, and it is now prohibited, specifically, the New York Police Department from using that analysis report in developing cases. Those are the kind of things we're going to have to move away from if we have any hope of improving the level of our national security. Yeah. Uh, Art, do you have anything else to add to that? Hello, Art, are you there? Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I... I would concur with that. Uh, I, I think that we really do need to um, examine fundamentally the way we do things. It's, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, politicians talk about we need to reform this, reform that, and they're not really talking about fundamental changes. And uh, the thing about this whole issue is it, is it really comes down to a fundamental divide that, that you, Stacy, know very well. Uh, you talk about it all the time. These, this clash of worldviews uh, in our culture that takes many manifests itself in many different ways, but uh, that's that's really you know what it's ultimately going to come down to is um, is a, is a recognition of the fact that that we've been blinded. We have a huge blind spot because of a of a faulty view of the world. Yeah. Well, and, but, you know, I think there, I mean, there is some hope, right? I mean, do you guys think that there is hope? I mean, I, Philip, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm glad that, that some of the things worked out for you. Okay. I'm glad that you were able to write the book. I mean, that's hopeful, right? That, that, that there's a little bit of help and now you're getting the word out, um, you know, and, and, and despite the trial that you went through, which is horrible, I wouldn't want to go through it myself just saying, you know, but there is hope, right? Absolutely. Every time I have opportunity to speak, I always convey a message of hope. We're fully capable of addressing this challenge that we face. 
there's a lot of people who are already in service, both in the military and in law enforcement, who are more than capable of addressing it. it does, we don't have to violate anyone's civil rights, not mm-hmm. as defined by the Constitution, in order to do it. Now, I'm absolutely hopeful. I think you'd be surprised how fast we could turn it around if we were actually allowed to do it. The, the provisions and policies are already in place. It doesn't have to be draconian, but we do have to decide where our priorities are. Who sure. are we actually trying to protect? And we have to come to terms with that. Once we do that, the rest of it will fall in line. See, I agree with you. And I just have another question. It's kind of, it's not really on. Well, do, do you guys know who Hagman and Hagman are? I mean, I do. Doug Hagman? Yeah. Sure, yes. You know who Doug is? Okay. They're here on Blog Talk Radio. they got a really big following, and you guys should definitely get on their show. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, so I'm just saying, this is right up their alley, you know, this this topic and everything. Um, and I could I could just see this exploding on their network, on their show. So if if you need their info, let me know, and I'll, get, I'll send it to you. I appreciate that. This is not an easy subject to discuss. No. It's counterintuitive to a lot of a lot of the the way we're brought up as Americans. We're taught to believe that our elected officials really do have our best in our welfare in mind. And I had great respect for the people that I talk about in the book. And it it hurt me badly to see them essentially discredit themselves in public by making statements that were so obviously uninformed or disinformed or misinformed. I don't enjoy that at all. I have great hope for our country, and I would love to see us have the wherewithal to recover ourselves and do better going forward. That's what I say every chance I get. Well, you know what? I want you to know, Philip, that you are like a hero to me, and I want to thank you for all the service that you did and for the fact that you even you know, you know, do this. I, I'm, I'm only 47. Okay. And so I know you're a little bit older than me, but you know, my little, my generation is a little bit behind you. And, you know, what you did offers me hope for, you know, the next 20 years of, or 30 years of, of my life. So I just, you know, want you to know that just, just from my heart. And I, and I'm really honored that you came to be on that radio. And I hope a whole bunch of people, um, Go get your book, See Something, Say Nothing, A Homeland Security Officer Exposes the Government's Submission to Jihad. I mean, really, you're you're a real man, just so you know. <laughs> well, I wanted that. to add a point. That's yeah. the importance of books. Even though we live in an electronic age, mm-hmm. you notice that things can tend to disappear from the Internet. Yes. You wake up today and it's gone. Well, that's one good thing about the book is it documents in very careful detail a very important part of our America's history from 9-11 till right up to modern time, current time. So I would encourage people to get it. If they doubt anything that I have to say, simply do a little work on their own part, and they will come to the same conclusion. I can guarantee you that. In fact, if anything, I understate. I don't exaggerate. I allow people to come to their own conclusions if they just put a little bit of effort into it. And again, I want to give a shout out to all my colleagues in law enforcement and in the military. We all know that we can do it. Just let us do our job 
and we'll stand up for America. We will. Amen. Was there a question Amen. there in the chat room? I'm not sure if it's so much a question or, or a commentary. Or Randall is making a comment. Okay. Cause, and, and Art. Okay, so here's Art. Art also is a veteran uh, journalist who covers hard topics. And obviously, Art, you're, you're a hero of mine, too, because you have been doing this forever. And you're also a real man, just so you know. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I have to say I, I want to tell everybody, you know, it's been a tremendous privilege to work with Philip and he is the real deal. You know, I, I've been with him in many different settings, and uh, we've been talking for uh, some time now, just about every day. And uh, and he's he's legit. And I, I think you know, if people doubt that, again, you know, they can they can do their own research. But um, I think the more you hear Philip talk about his story, the more you realize that he is just laying out the facts as they are. And um, I would encourage um, people who are frustrated with what they see to get a copy of the book and to um, contact your congressman because it's really going to be we the people that that make the changes. And um, what we found is, is tremendous enthusiasm when people hear about Philip's story and when they read the story, even more enthusiasm. And what they're saying is that, yeah, I've, I've wondered about this, I've I've had similar thoughts, and now this confirms what I've thought. And so the next thing to do to relieve that frustration is to take action and to contact people in our government. Philip has a lot of good relationships with people in Congress, but what we really want to see is a groundswell. We want to see uh, Congress members from every part of the country raising the same questions. Amen. So do you guys have a, a, besides the World Net Daily website to get the book, do you guys have uh, any other websites people might be able to go to? I don't. Okay. Yeah, Not the, yet. Yeah, certainly the um, WND uh, Books you know, has, has a site uh, for the book. And uh, if you type in, see something, uh, say nothing, uh, WND um, you can find that page. And, and if you go to Amazon, you, know, you can also see a page uh, on the book there. And um, it, and then it's also, beginning today, it should be uh, in Barnes & Noble stores. So for people, you know, they're, they're, I know there are still some people that would prefer to go to a bookstore, and you can go there and find the book. Right. Well, you guys, this has been uh, a, a privilege for me to have you both here. And uh, I'm hoping and praying that this word gets spread far and wide and and of course I'll be praying for both of you because I know how the enemy of our souls, not only just the enemy of people in general, but you know, the devil, he spread you and, and uh, try to get you out I'll stand for you. Thank, thank you, you very thank much. You so I much appreciate that. Yes. Bye. Bye everyone. Bye. All right, so uh, I, uh, you know, it's weird hearing myself interview somebody from four years ago. I'm a pretty sweet interviewer, you know? If I was those two guys, I would be like, oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> anyway, um, it's sad, right? It's so sad that, that he was allegedly killed. Um, what do you mean, allegedly? He was... Well, he... 
I mean, he was well, found dead with gunshot wounds. Right, okay. But we don't know who by, you know. Mm. Could have been accidental, so... <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, thought you were someone else. Yeah, well, you never know. Well, anyway, um, so I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I did. I actually did. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I have no doubt the man is in heaven. Um, and I think this country needs to wake up. You know, I was at pickleball today and talking to somebody and I think they're a liberal to be honest because they, they were just going off about some stuff, but I, I am hearing from people that they fear for our country. I think they fear for the wrong reasons if they're a liberal. Um, which, you know, hey, we need to pray for everybody, you know, and I admit I don't pray, I don't pray enough. I, I need to pray more. Um, I'm concerned about religious freedom. Uh, I'm definitely, definitely concerned about the Islamic individuals in our government, uh, like Keith Ellison and others who who have the ear of care, which is a terrorist front group in our country. I don't care what anybody says, no pun intended. Or was there? Yeah, there was. Um, but care is no friend of America. Um, and, you know, we know if you look at, um, you know, if you look at the new world order that needs to come, and and we and you look at... Um, the Illuminati, all the stuff that, you know, everybody makes fun of. If you, if you study some of this stuff, NAFTA, you know, all this stuff, it makes complete sense, you know, and this book here next, uh, on, I think it's on the 7th, March 7th. I'm interviewing Jeff Kinley about it. Interview with the Antichrist. Um, so, uh, you know, the rise of the Antichrist has to take place right? Bible prophecy is being fulfilled in our day and age. And, you know, it's interesting because this person I was talking to today, um, she was just saying that she feels anxious and scared and all this other stuff. And I was standing there going, I don't feel any of that. I don't. I, I feel excited about the days that we live in. I really do. And you know why? Because the Bible talks about how, um, and it's in John chapter four, go read John four afterwards. Okay. Um, I'm going to be teaching this at my Bible study Tuesday, um, about the woman at the well and stuff, but near the end of that chapter, actually it's probably midway through the chapter. Um, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he makes a comment to them. It seems almost out of place. I think it's in John four. It might be John three, but I think it's John four. And he says, you know what? Hey, you know what? You get to, to, reap the benefits of what other people have sown you know look 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 up because the harvest is there right and so i think that you know we live in exciting times especially as believers because people want to know god it's and they're ready the you know there's people ready to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever. But the problem is, is we're not sharing it. 
right? You know, we're not going out there and, and, and trying to figure out where it's at, you know, and trying to share the gospel all the time. In fact, Randall and I were talking about this this morning. We both kind of had a emotional aha moment about, <laughs> about some stuff because throughout, I don't know, and I can't even count the years, but for many years, you know, God has been directing us to do what we currently do. And there isn't enough people doing it, you know, and I think that um, Twyla Paris's song, Warrior is a Child, I feel that way sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's like, hello, you know, we can only do so much, you know, we need you to, to uphold us in prayer, we need you to help support the show, we need you to be encouragers and not discouragers. We need you to be laborers and go out there and, and do the work, you know? So I want to put out a challenge to you and here's my challenge. Get local, get local, get out there locally. If you're not volunteering somewhere or you're not, you know, in a Bible study locally, um, you know, get out of your comfort zone and get local because there are people locally who need you and God placed you wherever you're at locally so that you could be reaching out to people, you know, and I, maybe it's because I'm the legal shield training and, you know, I'm on, I'm on a phone every day and I just want to just, this hopefully will convict you. I'm on the phone every day at 7am Monday through Friday without fail, unless I have a weird appointment that's at that ungodly hour, some other place that I have to be rest, <laughs> I have to be dressed up and out the door. But every day at seven o'clock, I meet with forty other people, approximately on average, to talk about Legal Shield and to talk about our business, talk about what our goals are for that day, answer the question of the day, listen to a quote of the day, um, get motivated and encouraged to go out and sell, and to talk to at least two people a day about Legal Shield. How much more so Christians doing two a day for the Lord, getting out there and, and talking to two people a day about Christ? You know, if we really believe what we believe, right, that we say we believe, if we really believe the eternal destination of somebody who doesn't receive Jesus is hell, then we should have a fire in our gut to go out and save those people from the pit of hell. Now, can we, can we convert anybody? No. But can we go out and we can tell them? We can share the story? Yes, we can. And that's what we, I mean, the irony is, is that's what Legal Shield teaches us. They teach us, don't, don't go out and try to sell anything. Go out and share the story about how Legal Shield can help your friend. You know, get a will done. Do this, do that, blah, blah, etc. You know, it, how much more important is it that people who are believers in Jesus and have the word of God and they understand it, get out there and share it with somebody. People need you, period. And I know, and I'm, some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say right now, but I love you. That's why I'm going to say it. Some of you need to get off the computer and start living your own life outside the computer and get out there and, and get local somewhere. You know, I don't care if that it's difficult for you. Build a bridge and get over it. Because you know what? God needs you where you're at. So you need to go somewhere. 
And if you don't want to go anywhere, then invite somebody to your house. Clean your house and have somebody come to your house. And just build a bridge and get over it and share with them your knowledge of the Lord. Because there is such a lack of discipleship. People don't know what you know. And you just have to trust God, (laughs) you know, trust God to use you where you're at you know, and, and, and not make it about how you feel. Cause you know what? Your feelings are not gonna, they're not gonna help you. Feelings are just fleeting. And, you know, trust me, if I trusted my feelings, I wouldn't even, I would never do another show. Cause I'd be like, ah, you know, and I'll end it with this. Um, unless Randall wants to say something else, but I'll say this, you know, the Bible says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we don't grow weary. It's easy to grow weary if you're trying to do it by yourself. It's not as easy to grow weary if you're in community with people. You know, people who can encourage you, who can lift you up. I actually found this website today. I'm not going to say what the name of it is because I don't want you to go to it. But I saw it on TikTok and I had to check it out. It's it's a website that is designed to connect people who need affection, uh, platonic affection, let's put it that way. And I was talking to my friend Jennifer about it, and she was, she, anyway, we were both talking about it. And I was thinking, you know, it's really sad that we live in such a disconnected society that somebody created a website so people could go sign up to get hugs from other people, Right? That's sad. That is really, really, really sad. You know, that that it's come to that in our culture. And the devil is good. He knows what he's doing. And all these bozos online who are stomping the devil under their feet. And they're doing all this other crap. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Because they don't really know God that well, if that's what they're doing. <laughs> The devil has to answer to Jesus, first of all. And he, you know, read Job. Go read the book. Um, But here's the thing. People need you where you're at. And so get out there and and do something. Like I know Pastor Tommy. Tommy goes to assisted living and crisis pregnancy. She's out there ministering everywhere. But some of you are like just sitting on your computers doing nothing. You know, you're like scrolling through, liking stuff. You have no life outside the computer and you need to stop that because it's not helping you and God needs you to go out there and help somebody else. Just, just so you know, and don't be mad at me for saying that, but I can't do everything. So anyway, that's, that's all I got to say. So anyway, so tomorrow Randall is, are we done with first John yet? Oh, almost. Okay. Just a few verses in the last chapter, chapter 5 to go. Okay. Do you want to say anything else? Well, I was over here kind of reading up on Philip Haney. Okay. And Sorry. It's almost 10 o'clock here. Yeah. I'm a morning person. The original report was that his body was found by Caltrans with no sign of a weapon anywhere. Hmm. And at 11.28 this morning, Jan Markell tweets... My friend Philip Haney was found shot in Cal- yesterday in California. I had lunch with him a month ago. He warned something could happen to him. He was to get married in a month. It will false- 
it will be falsely called a suicide. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, this afternoon, the Sheriff's Department issues a report that says they found a weapon, and it appears to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Interesting. Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, well, there you go, people. So go back if you just joined us. Go back, listen to the archive of this show. By the way, we are on Anchor as well, the podcast, the audio. I'm going to be uploading the audio. It'll be up by tomorrow. Um, If you don't want to just watch it on YouTube or Periscope or Facebook or wherever else we're at, you know. Um, And don't forget, we also have over 1,500 archived episodes of our show from like years ago over on Blog Talk Radio. You can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash AC media as an active Christian media. And you can go through those episodes and listen to stuff. We have a lot of very famous people on some of those shows back back on Blog Talk. But anyway, uh, Jan Markell, she knows what she's talking about. I know Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Tino Hills. He, he tweeted out the story. I'm sure he has some stuff. I know he was on the news earlier. Um, you know, it's heating up. And this is California. So, yeah. Anyway, there you are, people. It's time for bed. Say your prayers. Read your Bible. And remember, people, be bold. Like Philip was. Stand up and go with God because he loves you. Don't ever forget that. Thank you.